0: All right. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open up to Luke chapter 18. We'll get there in a second. We began a series a couple of weeks ago just um, that deals with apologetics. And last week, specifically, we looked at the existence of God. We brought up these big, basic human questions that that exist in all parts of the world, have existed through the centuries. Uh, If I could put in a nutshell, last week, what God exists was all about. It's that when someone comes and makes a truth claim to you that God doesn't exist, there are some basic questions that that person making that truth statement has to defend and has to come up with. Where did the universe come from? How did it come into being? Uh, If we are, in fact, just a collection of material and gases, how do you account for the moral argument? How do you account that we know stealing is wrong? We know that hurting one another is wrong. I hope you didn't take me up on the experiment of slapping someone and seeing if they got mad at you. But we know that that would be wrong. Where does that morality come from? Most of our lives, we also talk about this, that most of our lives are decided by high probability without absolute proof. It doesn't mean it's void of reason or thinking or logic, but 100% proof isn't offered to us most of the time. Let me give you an example of a 100% commitment that you made this week Without 100% proof, okay? Unless you grow your own food, all of it, you made a 100% commitment this week without 100% proof. Now, some of you went to the, the higher risk places like McDonald's, right? Where you're, you're a little bit more unsure there about what's going into your body. But even if you were to shop at the most organic, wholesome place, whatever, you don't know where that was grown. You don't know what pesticides were or were not put on that. You're not entirely sure how to pronounce many of the things you put in your body this week. Tracking with that? So we make 100% commitments often through our week without 100% certainty. So we put this slide up. That which can't be proven can only be accepted or rejected. What I would put out to you again this week is this, that reason and faith are happily married and they're not divorced, as many people in the world today would try and have you say. Oh, you're a person of faith. Well, I'm a person of reason and logic, as if somehow those two are separate and aren't married together. The reality is that... that uh, that people all the time are making assessments based on these two things being together Now this morning you have a little card on your chair and it's, it serves two purposes um, So the first purpose is going to be on the lined side And what I want you to do is take a pencil or pen out and I want you to write 1 through 9 This is going to be a little um, a little sampling to see how well you know your Bible Okay, This is not going to be graded, it's going to be more for fun So um, So just think of it that way one through nine. Our kids have this week off of school. I thought we needed a quiz in here. And uh, I know Ben Austin loves taking tests and quizzes. So this is for you, Ben. Um, all right, number one, okay? Here it is. Some of these are going to be easy. Some of these are going to be really hard. Um, number one is this. What is the second shortest verse in the Bible? Who knows the first shortest? Jesus wept. Where is it? John 1135. 1135. <laughs> Boom! someone's like i nailed that one right off the bat if you're a new christian and you want to memorize a verse start with john eleven thirty-five. 35 you got one just like that jesus wept what's the second shortest verse okay you write the answer down i'll give you the answers shortly okay number two what is the most common uh, person's name used in the bible you don't have to know the number of times that would be bonus points But what is the most common name used in the Bible, not for the Lord or God, but for a person? Number three, in Joshua chapter 7 and 8, the city of Ai is mentioned. How do you spell Ai? That's number three. Number four, there are 19 unisex names in the Bible. Unisex, don't get panicky, kids. That means it could be a boy's name or a girl's name, like Pat or Chris. How, so there's 19 unisex names in the Bible, give me one of them. Write down one, one unisex name in the Bible, if you know it. Number five, which of these words is found in the Bible? I'll give you a hint, not all of them are, but at least one of them is in the Bible. You, you guys got it. Um, here it is, which, which of these words is found in the Bible? Write down the one next to number, what number are we got? Four. Uh, five, that is in the Bible, okay? Trinity. Evil. Smile. Evangelism. Okay? Which which of those four words is in the Bible? Number six, whose wife was turned into a pillar of salt? Whose wife was turned into a pillar of salt? Number seven, what was the source of Samson's strength? Someone's like, got that one. Number eight. Who was the first to meet the risen Jesus? And number nine, what kind of man was Boaz before he got married? All right, here we go. Here's the answers. (laughs) Uh, Number one, what's the second shortest verse in the Bible? Here it is. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Rejoice always or rejoice evermore, some translations say. That's a good verse to read at the start of a wedding, if you ever do one. Uh, Number two, most common person's name used. Anyone have any ideas on that? David. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Very good. Number three, uh, how do you spell the city of Ai? Who's got a shot at that? Ai. There you go. That was kind of a freebie. It was a little bit like, would he really give it to us that? There's got to be a silent something in there. Uh, yeah, AI. Number four, uh, you're going to have to kind of self-test that because you're going to have to go find all 19, but I'll give you the most famous one probably. Um, anyone have an idea? You may be right. I don't even know. I, 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 didn't, I didn't memorize all 19, but I know the one Gomer, okay? Gomer is one that you see in the Bible, and you realize, wow, that's a woman's name, but we also know from a famous TV show that it's a man's name as well. Number five, which of these words is found in the Bible? Only one of those was found. Not Trinity, not smile, not evangelism, but evil is in the Bible. Number six, whose wife was turned into a pillar of salt? What is the source of Samson's strength? Number seven? Okay, so we could have a, we could have a great Bible study here. God, you got the right answer, Chris. It was his hair, okay? For the rest of us, not quite as spiritual as Chris. But you're right, Chris. You should be up here preaching. Number eight, who was the first to meet uh, the risen Jesus? Okay, we could have multiple answers there, too. Maybe the angel could be uh, in there. But Mary Magdalene is the answer I was looking for. Number nine, what kind of man was Boaz before he got married? Single. Here, here it is. Here it is. Boaz... Before he got married was ruthless. OK? All right, If you don't know why people are boning, it's not a bad breakfast, it's in the Bible. Go find out why that's a moaner. All right, here we go. We'll get to that later. Uh, so the Bible that's what we're talking about this morning uh, the Bible as God's word. Let me give you some common ground today. If you're in, in church this morning, um, maybe for the first time, or you're dialoguing with someone who's not in the church, they're not familiar with church, they're not around the Bible, they don't tend to believe in the Bible, there is some common ground that I want to point out to you um, because to some degree as we're, as we're wrangling through this for our own faith and for our own things, as we're engaging our family and our kids with this, um, we're also talking about those who are friends of ours and neighbors of ours and people we really care about. Um, that aren't Christians and that that have been trained to question everything. And and so there's a a need to build a bridge into that and to to have a a, a dialogue and a conversation. One of the ways you do that is you find common ground. Uh, Here are some common ground ideas as we start to talk about the Bible by way of introduction. One is this. In In the idea of authority, every single person that you come across builds their life on something or someone. Everyone builds their life on on some kind of a foundation. Okay, Now, here is the question you should ask yourself to, I think, begin to reveal, what am I really building my life on? What do I look to as the final and decisive authority when I'm faced with two choices in front of me? Here's the kind of question that might begin to reveal that. What is it that you appeal to when you are arguing your case? For a certain decision that you've made. If you're asked to defend your actions, if you're asked to defend what's right or wrong, what do you appeal to? Okay? So where do you go to? Uh, as a kid, you might say this. If you're on the schoolyard and you're talking, you might say, well, my mom said, or my dad said. Okay? Then there's something that happens in the teenage years where kids forget and don't realize how incredibly smart their parents are. Kids, listen up to that. Um, it may be that as you go through college and other things, you're around other really smart people. And, and you begin to say, well, my teacher said. My prof said such and such. And so you're appealing to their, to their knowledge. Um, it could go on from that, that, that statistics say x, y, z. You might watch a lot of daytime TV and say, well, Oprah says such and such and this and that, or some other popular opinion. Um, you may appeal to history. You may appeal to research projects. You may chuck all of that one day and just say this, well, I said and then that's your final authority. You don't need anything else. You just you say it, and so it is. Okay, that's a little bit leaning toward the drunk guy looking to cash a check from last week, where he just says, and it's, it gets a little absurd to talk to people that. But think about where do you go to back up what you're saying? That's a common ground thing that that every single person has. Now, another Christian though might say, yeah, but we don't lean on old dusty documents on parchment paper written by dead people. Here's a common ground thing from an American perspective that you might be able to challenge that. You'd say, really, so you don't base anything on, a, on old documents? And they say, no. You ask them, what about the Constitution of the United States? What about the Bill of Rights? What about some of these things that, that, that maybe you appeal to as an authority of what's right and what's wrong? Here's, here's an interesting question for a Christian to see how American we are, and if we identify with that stronger than we do our our Christian walk, that we're a child of God, first and foremost. I love how Kel introduced himself. He, he got to the point that he's one of the elders. It's important that you know who's this guy up given the financial update. But he started with, hey, I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. So let me ask you this. If you were to... Um, if you were to see something go on, would your first inclination and greatest offense be taken because that's unconstitutional or because something is unbiblical? Do you see the difference? All it is, it's, just, it's, it's going to the deepest, weightiest authority that you know. And so if something really riles someone up and they say, well, that's unconstitutional, that's a big thing in our day and age don't you dare do something that's unconstitutional. That'll really rile a lot of people up, won't it? I mean, we'll really argue that one. To a Christian, something that is unbiblical ought to really rile us up. And we ought to say, man, but but that's that's an even weightier thing, an infinitely weightier thing. Just a little side note. Um, I can tell... A, a more rebellious heart and spirit in a college kid when I would be talking to them in college ministry and um, and they'd say yeah you know uh, I, I just ask them, hey have, have you ever googled discrepancies in the Bible proofs the Bible wrong, the Bible is false all that kind of stuff and sometimes you can just tell where the heart and mind of, of, of a person is by asking that and they say yeah I have uh, I've never said this to them but but this is an interesting side note Um, Sometimes there's a rebellious heart that just says, I want to disprove this so I don't have to have that authority over my life. If I can discredit this, if I can get some loopholes out of this, I don't have to yield to it. And yet, they might go through their entire life not only as a citizen of the United States, but a proud American and basing all kinds of things on a document that they have never once even investigated to the slightest degree its authenticity, its veracity, whether or not it should hold authority, who actually wrote it, how it was transmitted over the years. Are tracking with that a little bit? We are going to get, not this week, this is going to be a little bit less technical this week. Next week, we're going to just hit on some of the questions and some of the proofs and some of the manuscript evidence that I hope will blow your mind. I think if you're open to it, it will just begin to blow your mind at what we're holding in our hand. And the question, the common ground question that you might talk with someone. If someone starts to go down that road with you, I am not an expert on parchment paper. Okay, I barely know what you know different weights mean at Office Max. So I'm not going to pretend to go there. But what I do know is this: there is, um, there is, there is a lot of criticism. There's a lot of um, effort that gets put into to discrediting, discrediting the Bible and investigating the Bible and saying that's such a value. And yet I've just thought about it. I don't know how many people have ever gone and done the same thing to other old documents they build their life on, they build their morality on, they vote on. And yet they probably would be hard-pressed to tell you much of the history around that and who wrote it and why we know what they wrote is still what we have today. Just an interesting side note. For thousands of years, God's people have held this, that the Bible is literally the word of God. And therefore, as such, it is authoritative and infallible. Infallible is a word that means it is without error. And there are literally millions of people today and throughout history that have held that to be true. Still, by way of introductions, let me talk about prophets for a second. Prophets are those who are sent by God to speak to people, and sometimes informed the future of things. Um, Jesus actually did that in the passage we just read about. What he did is he predicted the future by telling the group there what Judas did just before he went and did it, such that after that event happens, it's. Yet another sign that points to, no way, he just said that was going to happen, and it did. He has predicted that he was going to be flogged, and he was. He predicted he was going to die. So on and on this goes. He was a prophet of God. Um, Prophets tend not to be listened to. Jesus told in Matthew 21 this parable of the landowner. The parable of the landowner is where Jesus says, that a landowner's there, and he sends these different messengers. He's, he's alluding to the prophets that have been sent to the people of God. What do the people do to the landowner's messengers and servants? Yeah, they, they, they beat him up, right? And they send them away, and they shame him and all that. That's how a prophet is treated. If you go read the prophets, look at how Moses gets called in ministry. Look at how Jeremiah gets called in ministry. You know what they always do? No, 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 no not me. It is not a job you sign up for and go, I want to go to prophet school. Love that. Love getting beat up. Just so fun. Oftentimes they say, no, you got the wrong guy. Moses that I can't speak. God says, I'm going to give you the words. He gives I still can't speak. Jeremiah says, I'm young. I'm, I, God says, I'm going to put my words to you, and you're going to, you're going to do what I tell you to do. So prophets tend not to be listened to. At the end of the, the, the landowner parable, by the way, landowner says, well, I'll send my son. Surely they'll listen to my son. And then they, they kill so they can get the inheritance. That's the same with Jesus. It's, it's, it's alluding to Jesus Christ as, um, as the son of God coming and, and getting the same treatment and worse as the prophets. Now, a prophet of God, I mean, just use your brain on this, but a prophet of God, if I were to come to you and say, God told me, and then I were to tell you something explicitly, wouldn't I have to bat 1,000 on that if I'm really a prophet, right? I mean, if God told me, I'd have to bat 1,000%. That's the standard for a prophet. What if I'm pretty good? What if I get about 90 95% of the time? You have to look at that and say, not a prophet. I promise you, I could, I could take a, a child up here and I could tell them a number and every single time they would be able to tell the number if I'm telling it to, to them. If they're just making it up and said, Dave's thinking of a number, and they would just say it, they might get it right once in a while. They might get it right statistically even a, a higher percentage than we would think, and we might be a little bit awed by it. But if someone is telling you something and you're saying this is from God, it has to be a 1,000%. And that's the Bible standard for a prophet as well. How many of you know what you were doing on May 21st, 2011? It wasn't that long ago. Okay, I know what I was doing. Rob's raising his hand. I'll tell you what I was doing. I was out in this parking lot right here, and um, I was probably sipping some Pete's coffee because that was set up. There was a donut hole in my hand, I think, and it was a pretty beautiful morning. And um, And here's why I know exactly what I was doing on that day is because... That day was a day that had some lead-up to it, and you may have seen billboards that looked something like this. We were out front. We had one of our spring neighborhood workabouts. We have a two-time-a-year where we're just out serving the community, and that was one of the days. And I had someone pull up into our car, and they thought we were out waiting for the for Judgment Day. <laughs> like, like with a donut and Pete's coffee in my hand. I'm like, yeah, that's how I want to be found. You know, a donut hole and coffee. Um, and I, I had a good laugh about that. I said, no, I said, we're, we're, um, by our actions, you can tell we're going to treat today as, as if it's a gift from the Lord. And we're going, to, we're going to do what servants of God do. We're going to be out serving the neighborhood. So, so no, we're not, here. we're not out here waiting for, for the world to end. Now, I, I say this with a little bit of, of humor, but uh, Harold Camping is his name. Harold Camping is a name I want to put in your brain because he has since apologized and he has since retired from being a prophet. Now, um, I want the name Harold Camping to stick because if he ever comes out of retirement, uh, do you know how many people sold their stuff, all their stuff, and gave it to him? I don't know the stats specifically, but over $80 million worldwide over a multi-year span was raised toward this campaign, and he apologized? And, and, and he retired? Um, that ought to strike you. Even, even kind of the thickest person out there, that ought to strike you as odd. And, and, and yet many, many people and went along with this. So a false prophet gets gets one shot there's no grace period you say well then you're not from God if that's the case that's a really really high standard now let me bring this back to God's Word now the Bible does something that is incredible it makes some sweeping kinds of claims but the biggest question you ought to have in your mind is this are they true because if it's really God's Word and it says this is the word of the Lord. It ought to be true, all of it. Now, let me let me put down some questions here, or just express some questions that I hope you've wrestled with. I hope you're currently wrestling with. I hope you're hoping I'm going to touch on them. Okay. Um, here's the other thing that your card is for. On the other side of it, um, you can you can write down the questions that you have about the Bible specifically. And if we don't get to them today, that's going to actually help inform how next week goes and what we talk about and what we don't talk about. Because there's about 100 directions we could go with this. So I'm going to voice some of the questions that come up when talking about the Bible and thinking through the Bible. Is it God's word? Is it not? Is it partly God's word? Uh, all these kinds of things. But if I don't hit on them, I want you to write this down, and you can, you can turn this into an usher. You can give it to the offering. You can turn it into me, whatever. We can also post this on the city. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a post up so you can voice your questions there. Okay? Here's a couple of questions that ought to pop into your mind. How do we even begin to assess the truthfulness of these old documents? Again, most of us aren't parchment experts. So how do we even begin to understand, is this true or is this not true? Who wrote these books? Are the authors trustworthy? Are the accounts historically accurate? Hundreds and hundreds of places and names and people and rulers and kingdoms. Are they accurate or are they not? When were these things written? How were these 27 books in the New Testament chosen to be included? And who chose them? What about the same question for the Old Testament? What of the other books that weren't included? There were certainly other letters. We know there were other gospels that were written. What about them? And is what we're holding today the same as what was originally given? In other words, that question is this. Maybe God's word really did come down to people, but how do we know the transmission was accurate, that what we're holding today is the same as there? Have you had some of those questions? I hope so. I hope you've wrangled through some of those. I hope you've had people ask you those. So here's what I want you to do. Um, no notes this morning. Your only note is this. You can write that. You don't have to, but if you have a question that you want answered or, or a little bit more specific, write it down there and get it uh, turned in. And we'll we'll try and help address those next week. Luke 18. If you're there already, great. If not, turn there. Look down to verse 31. I want to give, just by way of introduction and overview, this Picture, what is the Bible all about? If you could take kind of the whole Bible and just say, what's it, what's it about? Um, and what I want to do is I want to put that in the hands of Jesus to answer for us. Luke chapter 18, verse 31 says this. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. Jesus here is pointing back to what was written, what was the scriptures at that time. And that is what we have currently as the Old Testament. There's about 400 years between the Old Testament where there's silence. God doesn't send any messengers or prophets that write anything. And then the story of Jesus, the incarnation of God coming down, picks up in the book of Matthew. And then we carry on through to the rest. So Jesus says it's all about him. By the way, interesting side study on the person of Jesus. He is a fascinating mix. Even if I wasn't a Christian, I think I would find interest in this. He's a fascinating mix of humility. Most people you talk to, if you ask them, is Jesus a humble person? They would say, yeah, he was. Maybe maybe the humble, most humble person ever. And yet, you see the comment he just made? Hey, find the Old Testament. Hey, guess what? All of this, everything, it's about me. It's all pointing to me. Do you see how if that's not true, that's insanely arrogant? Do you see how that does not fit with our picture of humility? Hey, pick up the mercury today. Everything you read there, it's all about me. Every single story, it points to me. You'd be like, dude, we're no longer friends. I'm unfriending you on Facebook. It's just, it's over. I mean, that's that's ludicrous to make that. Jesus is the most fascinating mix of humility and, and one who seeks glory. And says these sweeping things about himself. And they're inconsistent unless you follow the storyline that is true. And that is that he's God. So here he is saying all these things are about me. A prophet's one who speaks for God. The writings in the prophets here are the Old Testament. And he's saying that they all point to him. He talks about it being accomplished. That these things will be accomplished. He, in this short few sentences, lays out some future events that are about to happen. We're still a little ways off, but these are all about to happen. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be spit upon. He's going to be killed. He's going to be turned over to Gentiles. He is going to rise again. And here he is saying that it's all about me. The New Testament is so obviously about Jesus that I'm not even going to point there. We just looked back. Um, But Jesus said quite plainly, That the Bible is about me. Here's what's interesting for us. What you are doing with the Bible, you are doing with Jesus. In other words, if you are dismissive about the Bible, then you're actually being dismissive about Jesus Christ. Here's a convicting thing for me. Sometimes I'm reading... And I intentionally read portions of Scripture that aren't like a Twinkie to eat. There's parts of the Scripture like a Twinkie. They feed your soul. They bolster you up. They comfort you. You quote them. They're like, oh, it makes me feel good, like a Twinkie. There's other parts, though, that don't feel like a Twinkie, right? And yet to read them and to soak in them and to understand them and even to do the hard work of studying them and go, God, what did you mean by this? is to say with my actions. Jesus, this all points to you. That means there's value in this and there's, there's, there's glory that can be given to you. This, if I can get my head around this. So I want to go there. You know what Jesus did with the Bible? He loved it. He memorized it. He taught it. He quoted it. And he looked on it as a decisive and final authority. And that's how we are to be with the Bible as well. Here's a question. Here's the second question. Why do so many people trust the Bible? Ready for some numbers? You numbers people that liked Kel's numbers, here's some more numbers. 28.4 million complete Bibles are distributed yearly. Almost 300 million partial ones, like a New Testament being given out are distributed yearly according to the United Bible Society. The Bible's been translated into 24, almost 2,400 languages, 2,000 foreign languages, which account for about 90% of the world's talking, okay? So the communication that goes on around the world, it's covered 90% of the world. Now, you could look at that as a skeptic or even just a person who's kind of mildly interested and say, so what? A lot of people could be wrong. A lot of people are wrong about a lot of things. I would agree with that. But not only is it far and away the most popular book, but the Bible is also far and away the most controversial book you'll ever pick up. And it's the most scrutinized book, I would venture to say, that you've ever picked up. Just based on books written about it, critiques written about it. Every Easter, we get some new knucklehead who's writing for Time magazine about the fact that this, that, or the other thing. They're going to scrutinize the accounts of, of the Gospels. You're going to watch things on the History Channel and Nat Geo Channel and other things. They're going to come out. There's just shows and books and magazines and publications and seminars and things going on that are critiquing the Bible. That's a powerful thing to think about and understand as you you factor what what you say about it. So why do so many people trust the Bible? There's a built-in question to that. The built-in question, I think, is this. Can I trust the Bible? Because frankly, we don't really care about the 28.4 million Bibles that got out there and if they trusted, it. The, the question implied for me is, can I trust this? That's a really important question, right? It's an important question with any relationship you have. You want to look across them and say, can I trust you? If you can't trust that, then relationship is not only difficult, but impossible. The only value of a book claiming to be God's word is if it's true. Same criteria for a, a prophet. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, just listen to this. It says, And we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Let me just say this. If you're in doubt this morning, uh, if you are committed to the truth and not just proving your preconceived assumptions or whatever your theory is that you're coming to test, if you're really committed to the truth, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your search for the truth to go after and investigate the most widely distributed book in the history of the world and take a look. The question is this. If the evidence begins to lead where you don't like it to, Lee Strobel was a guy writing for the Chicago Tribune, he was a law guy. Josh McDowell has a very similar background. They said, look, we're going to go set out to disprove the Bible and just kind of quiet down these Christians who are making these ludicrous claims. In the process, both of those men didn't like where the truth led them. It began to take them away from places they had preconceived notions about, which is it's all superstition and super easy to just banish and, and, and prove wrong. You know what happened in the process the word of God was at work in them, and they turned out to be Christians. Not only Christians, but outspoken Christians saying, look at the evidence, people. And they've been doing that now for a couple of decades, both of them. We talked about this last week, but that's, that's the fact that when you have two competing truths, what do you do? You investigate, okay? One person says one thing. Another person says another thing. You begin to investigate those truth claims. That's what you do. So how do we know the Bible comes from God? We're talking about the reliability and authority of the Bible. Most people have an opinion about the Bible. Whether they know anything about it or not, most people have an opinion about the Bible, right? I think they fall into two general camps. Maybe there's more, but here's two really general ones. One is... It's it's a set of teachings that you can get some morals out of. Even if you don't get the morals out of it, you say, look, in a literary sense, you have to deal with the Bible. It's got some amazing things written in it. It's lasted all these years. It's translated in all these languages. You actually shoot yourself in the foot if you completely dismiss it. So most people give, at least give some credibility to the Bible in that camp. But what they want to do is they want to just leave it as a literary work and say it's, it's something that we can glean from a little bit from, from a literary sense. Option two is that it really is the revelation of God about all truth. And it's God revealing it to us. So he's revealing his nature to us. He's revealing us as part of his creation to us. And we're getting actually a message from God so that we can be in relationship with God and that it culminates and centers on the life, death, burial resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now again, there's probably continuums in between those kinds of things, but those are two general camps. I want to look for just a second, what does the Bible claim about itself? You're in Luke, turn over to 2nd Timothy, near the end of your New Testament. In the book of 2nd Timothy, chapter 3, We read a truth claim that the Bible makes about itself. And one of the challenges, especially in today's day and age, where everything is recorded and videotaped and all of that, is that to make a claim, to make a statement um, that you then have to back up um, is, is really a dangerous thing unless you have truth in the bank to back up your statement. What I mean by that is... Uh, if I'm kind of playing this along as I go, then to get this statement out there and say, Thus saith the Lord, and to not have truth to back that up, someone can look at that and say, oh, We got you. You undeniably claim to be God's word. So does the Bible make that claim? Second Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16. All scripture, we'll look at what all scripture is next week a little bit. But for the sake of argument, let's let's say it's these sixty-six books that we're holding in our hand, okay? All scripture is inspired or, or is, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know what the Bible does with this little segment? It sets itself in a position to be able to make a judgment, first of all, and say, there is all truth that's been literally God-breathed through the prophets. It's God's word being given to the prophets, and it's, and it's here. And it's profitable for all these different things. And yet there's coming a day, and there will be times in people who will not settle for the truth. They will abandon the truth, and they will turn aside to myths, and they'll actually be taught cleverly as the truth. The Bible is setting itself up as judge over itself and saying, this is true. That's a really, really bold and sweeping claim. Hebrews chapter 1, you can just write that down or think about it or listen. Hebrews chapter 1 says this, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. That's Jesus he's talking about. So the prophets spoke for God in the old days in many ways and at many times. God reveals, you'll, you'll read this in the, past, in, in, in the Old Testament. You'll read that God gave his words sometimes on tablets of stone. God wrote on a wall one time. God gives words to people. He touches Jeremiah's mouth and gives him words that way. He uses visions and dreams, but he is speaking to the prophets long ago at many times and in many ways, and now in these last days, it's, it's Jesus. Every time the Bible says, Thus says the Lord, or declares the Lord, or simply God said, or the word of the Lord came to me, by the way, you'll find that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times through the Bible. That's making a claim. This is God's word. So it's painted really strongly and really clearly. We can't just dismiss this as, well, the Bible never really claims that. People have taken that and misconstrued it and wanted to find something holy about it. The Bible makes the claim quite boldly that it's God's word. How about elsewhere? Luke chapter 1. Luke's a doctor. And in Luke chapter 1, you could go read the first portion of Luke chapter 1, the first few verses of Luke. And Luke is setting out to write by careful examination. He says, many have taken to write about these things. I want to write a careful examination for you, Theophilus, about the goings-on, about what has gone on here. And so he sets out to write that. He's talking about it being orderly and certainty and being an eyewitness Peter, John, Paul, other New Testament writers all talk about the investigation. John saying, Look, we're eyewitnesses to these things. It's not like we made this up. Over and over again, they're not saying we're writing cute little things that you'll be able to kind of glean moral truth from or is going to be really cool literary work through hundreds of years or thousands of years. That's not what they set out to do. So, just like a person, if Harold Camping in our day and age in Oakland, right? He's local. If he were to come back and say, you know what? Totally kidding around. I mean, I was totally joking. The billboard. You guys heard that literally? No, not at all. I mean, there would have been a riot at that. We would have said no way. Now, just because 100 years goes by doesn't make it any less different about about what went on. He made bold claims that did not come true. Bold claims have been made true, and they still stand to this day. Jesus called the word indestructible. He says not the smallest letter of this is going to go away. He also called it sufficient. He was talking about if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't care if someone rises from the dead. He says that it's sufficient for belief. He also views it as final and decisive as an authority throughout the Scripture. Here are a few facts about the Bible. The Bible, by the way, just means book. That's why you see Holy Bible. It's a holy book. It's a set-aside book. Scripture is just writing. So it's a book of 66 books. It has uh, some 40 authors uh, that were called to write down God's story, written on three continents spanning the centuries, 1,500 years, In the Bible, you'll find history, poetry, prophecy, eyewitness accounts, and letters. Now, with all of that little package put together, instead of this being all over the place in theme and all in competition with itself, it has this phenomenal, you would say supernatural, cohesive story to it that points to Jesus. I've not gotten into the professions of these writers. Some were in high places with affluence and kings. Some were uneducated and in low places. The history of the Bible, as a collection of writings, by the way, whether you're a Christian or not, you would have to look at the evidence and say there is a remarkable, I would insert supernatural, above nature as to how this happened. There is a supernatural history to it. It doesn't just survive persecution and criticism, but it actually thrives in those settings. You know the Bible has been sought to be wiped off the face of the earth multiple times by people. Whole countries and regimes have set up a world where they said, we're going to eradicate the Bible and God from our midst. They've been absolute train wrecks. Absolute train wrecks. Go do your history and just, just read. Just read your history book and see what goes on with that. John chapter 7, 38. By the way, I hope you're doing your prayer walks. We went not our prayer walk, and two doors down from us, we're praying for a neighbor that we already know is a Christian, and written in stone is this passage from John chapter 7, verse 38. It says this, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Right in my own neighborhood, the Bible is thriving in the midst of a worldwide worldwide we're very affluent do we get this okay in a very affluent part of the world it is just thriving in my day and age beautiful to see next week we're gonna uh we're gonna load up our shotgun okay here's what we're gonna do we're gonna load up our shotgun our truth shotgun and it's gonna be like a skeet pull i've never gone skeet shooting so if anyone does that and wants to invite me i'm all in okay but that's where you just say pull and you're just like blam and you're shooting these things out of the air here's what we want to do um I just want to throw out to you. I want to throw out to you some different things that people often say, often without really thinking them through. And I just want to, I just want to show you evidence that I want you to investigate it. I want you to hear it, and I want you to refute it if, 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 if you see that there's the ability to refute it. Um, and we're just going to be, we're just going to be putting those out next week. It should be a good time. Um, here's one more common ground as we kind of wrap up and move on to a different part of our service, and that is this. Um, Every single person you come across, you included, are looking for answers. I'll tell you what's supposed to go on in 2012. I had a conversation with a guy on a golf course a year or two ago about this, the Mayan calendar. Okay, Now, don't spend too much time researching it because it's a dead end. I'll give you you the ending already. It's a dead end. But I had a multi-hour conversation with a guy who... Did some respectable profession. And he was all into the Mayan calendar. He was a burned church person. And very early on in the dialogue, here's what I realized. This conversation is not about proving the Mayan civilization from eons ago could predict when the world was going to end or the veracity of the Bible. That's not what this was really about. This was actually an emotional thing about him being burned in the church. Trust had been broken down. And... He couldn't buy, he couldn't see past that. So at the end of the day, here's what happened. Now, he wouldn't let me pray with him at the end. I don't even know if I pushed it, but I know that he walked away from that conversation saying, here is a Bible believing, but not necessarily Bible thumping pastor that I could really engage with and really talk with. And maybe there's some wall, you know, permeableness to this wall now that we can have a conversation. That's how God used that conversation. He didn't use me to sit there and argue away the Mayan calendar predictions versus the Bible. But that to me seems pretty silly, as does a horoscope that you can buy from a gumball machine, as does a fortune cookie, frankly, as does looking to candidates for the real deep answers and saying that's our hope, that's, where, that's what's going to pull us out as does meditation or education or learning or all these different things, people are looking for answers. And the search is intense depending on what kinds of things are going on. There are missionaries out there for all kinds of truths. So there are missionaries out there who want to change the church and eradicate the church from the harmful notion in their minds that the Bible is accurate and true in God's word. Did you know that? There are missionaries that live in this city, that that's their mission. I wouldn't describe them any less than missionaries. So there are people pushing their truth claim, and we need to know how how to look at that. Um, Knowing the truth affects your life. So uh, James chapter 1 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When you're tested, that's when you begin to see, what am I really standing on? I don't know if you've ever stood on a boogie board right at the water's edge of the beach, but what happens is this. You stand there, and at first you're on solid ground. Then the first wave comes up, and it's okay. And then more waves come up, and eventually what's going to happen is it's going to shift a little bit. And it's just kind of fun. It's kind of like early beginner surfing, you know, surfing for dummies. So you stand there, and, and you know, it's going to start moving around, right? That's the, that's the shifting sand. Jesus talked about that. It's when you're tested that you begin to realize what kind of truth claim am I on. Think about Jenga. I put Jenga picture up. Fun game. Jenga might look really solid and you're like, I'm going to take this piece right here. And you, Have you ever done this with Jenga? You're like, ink, ink, and the holies are like, Wah! you're like, whoa, whoa, bad piece. If you can't figure Jenga out, which is right in front of you, how about just the bigger questions? life? Lord, should I take this job or not that job? Uh, not Lord, because I'm not a Christian, let's say, but but just what should I do? I want the best for my kid, but I don't know how to go. I don't know which way to go with that. And so people are, people are testing. And when you're life is tested, that's when the the truth claims that you're building on begin to show forth. So that's why as a Christian, I can know this intellectually, even though though it's really hard emotionally and mentally. But I can know that when testings come, I can actually consider it joyful because my faith is going to grow. I'm going to see, wow, my faith can withstand that. Jesus, you came through just like you said. You were with me through that just like you said. You know what? I'm steadfast in this wow, that really drove me into into you deeper and knowing the truth even more firm. I want to uh, close with a story. I think facts and stats and numbers can be uh, important. I think they're very important, actually, for us to to understand and know how to work with. But stories are really compelling. The fact is God's Word, listen to this, God's Word is... Is affecting and impacting lives today all around the world. It is doing crazy, supernatural things in the lives of people. There was a couple, a young couple that lived in Santa Cruz. They had a well-paying job. They had worked their way to be able to be in the tech industry and they had a well-paying job and there they were in Santa Cruz doing their thing. Getting the money, doing the life, running kids around, whatever. And the word of God that was in them was taking root and doing something in them. And eventually what happened to this couple is they realized, wow, I'm no longer content to give money to be giving uh, to, to causes that are getting God's word out, God's truth out, God's plan of salvation out. I have to do more than that. And sacrificially giving my money even isn't cutting it anymore. And so they obeyed God's leading in their life to uproot themselves from Santa Cruz. Have you been to Santa Cruz lately? Kind of a cool place. Kind of a cool place. And they moved themselves down and they planted themselves in what some refer to as the armpit of Mexico. Right around Tijuana area, right over the border, right near Tijuana, Rosarito. And what they did was they said, we are going to give our lives and our life savings to get God's word into children who are growing up hopeless in this setting. So many people in this room have met them and hung out with them. It's George and Stacy Palau. It's this orphanage. It's been going now for quite a while. I want you to hear right now. Phil, come on up. I want you to hear right now of what's going on in our little part in this and how we're joining forces with what God is doing uh, in Mexico. Well, so part of why we bring uh, people up in front of you is to get you to remember to be praying for them, so be lifting up those two families, as you can imagine, traveling across the border with kids and doing all that work and trying to get all those things done is uh, just requires prayer, so we'd appreciate that. Band, if you would come on up, we're going to learn a new song right now that just talks about God's Word and and what it means to us. And A little snapshot, by the way, of what Chris just shared uh, in that is that, We really desire at this church to not have leadership, you know, constantly needing to just beat, you know, the people and say, do more things, do more things, and yet we also don't want it to be inverted where everyone's just doing what's right in their own eyes and there's no leadership, there's no structure, whatever. We really have used this metaphor of a garden and say, man, as leadership, one of the things we're convinced of is if... If we can guard this from weeds, if we can guard this from people trouncing around on it, if we can guard it from from things and fertilize it with God's word and just pray over it, that that there will be a both and, that God will put on the leadership specific organized kinds of service opportunities and gospel-oriented things and missions that we feel convinced the people of God ought to be on. And God will put on the hearts and lives and minds of our people needs and burdens that That the Holy Spirit just says, you be the answer to that prayer. Don't go take that to the leadership and pawn it off on them. You be the answer to that. And so there will be this kind of symbiotic relationship with that. And Chris seeing that, seeing the need down there and saying, we need to be a part of this. I need to be a part of this. And then getting to come and we're going to get to join in with that brother and his family as they go down there and and, and do that is a great picture. I want to hold that out to you because... um, I'm just convinced, I'm convinced that this coming year and five years down the road, we will have been involved in things that did not come up from a very small leadership, few brains. But rather it was the Holy Spirit that that was bubbling in you and it came out of you and you shared it with your community group and they said, man, we've got to do this. And then you brought it to leadership and we said, man, that seems like the Holy Spirit's in that. We need to be a part of this. So it's a both and. Don't wait just for the organized um, also just be praying and saying, God, how would you use me uh, and my family and, and my community group? So let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll we'll do some singing. God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can be watered in it. We thank you, God, that um, that it has the power to change lives. And so many of us in this room could, uh, could just attest to that. I pray, God, you'd give us clear thinking on this, God, that we wouldn't just um, be lazy, Father, and just... And just say, well, I just believe it, God. But but that we would look into it, that we would investigate it, Holy Spirit. We recognize that without Your illuminating power, we would we would be able to read the same text as a as a believer and not get it. God, we see in our own lives as well as in the Scriptures eyes and hearts that were darkened. We pray for our own that we would. Have those things lifted from us, God, that we could see you as you really are, that we could see our condition as we really are, that we could glory in the cross and celebrate communion in such a way that, that, that mercy triumphing over judgment is our great joy today. You're so good to us, God. We pray for our neighbors, God, that we love, that we care for. Help us to lay down our lives for them so that they would believe in this too, so that they would walk in this truth as well. In Jesus' name we pray.